Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to share from God's Word one of my absolute favorite verses in the whole scripture. Let me just turn that on. Ephesians chapter 2. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. I need to find it, huh? All right, we're going to read verses 1 to 10, and we actually have been in this passage how many weeks now? This is our fourth week in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, and I'm hoping we're going to take two more weeks today and next week. Actually, it's three more today and then next week and then the week after, and then we should be done. It should be six total. That might be our fourth today. Yes, you're right. So let's read it together. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. This is what Paul told the church. I'm going to read from the New King James, and he said, You were dead in trespasses and dead, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the verse we're going to stop at today. Verse 7. That in the ages to come, one of my absolute favorite verses in the whole Bible. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. (laughs) So we've been talking about that phrase in verse 7, the exceeding riches of his grace. And we have grace here today. So, But we're not talking about you, Grace. We're talking about God's grace, okay? We're talking about the exceeding riches of his grace. And this is our fourth week. And we're just going through that passage. So time for pop quiz. See who remembers what we've been talking about. What did we share about so far? We talked about the exceeding riches of his grace. What was the point number one? And it's reach. Great. And that is verse one, two, three. We say that the grace of God reaches to those who are dead, those who are slaves, those who are wicked in their will and their mind. And those who are by nature children of wrath. That's the the grace of God. The exceeding riches of his grace in its reach. Verses 1 to 3. The following week we talked about the exceeding riches of his grace in its source. source. We need to have the star stickers. (laughs) In its source. And that was verse 4. We said, who is the source of this amazing grace? It is God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Amen? Amen. Last week, we talked about the exceeding riches of his grace in its work. 
Nancy, you, you're rocking it. Okay. And it's work. This is what the grace of God does. And that was verse 5 and 6. We say that the grace of God pick up those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, make them alive together, raise them up all the way up to seat them in the heavenly places next to Christ Jesus. Amen? Now today, we're going to talk about the exceeding riches of His grace in its mediator, in its middleman, the one who brings that grace to us. And that's verse 7. What did Paul say? That in the ages to come, why did God raise us up and seat us up in the heavenly places? Here is why. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Where is this grace? Who's the one who brought this grace to us? In, can I help, can I get some help? In Christ Jesus. He's the one who brought the exceeding riches of the grace of God to us. He's the middleman. He's the mediator, the one who's full of grace, who brought God's grace to us. So we're going to just break that verse down a little bit, okay? The first part is Paul says that God did all of this. He seated us up in the heavenly places. Why? What is the first part of that verse? That he might show in the ages to come the exceeding riches of his grace. Show who? Who does God want to show this exceeding riches of his grace to? Two people or two groups of, um, of, of beings that God want to show the exceeding riches of his grace to. Number one, the lost. Those who don't know him. God, listen to this. God saves sinners to save sinners. You got this? Let me say that again. God Save sinners to save sinners. The reason why God has shown you grace is not so you can keep it to yourself. The reason why God, God showed you grace when he forgave your sins in Christ Jesus. So that this grace of God can be displayed in your life for the sake of those who don't know him yet. So they can go after that exact same grace. It's like this. Mike, I'm going to pick on you, okay? Like the grace of God changes my life 100%. So Jeff right here, his friend, will say, oh my gosh, what happened to Mike? How come he got transformed that much? How come he's a different person now? And because of that display of God's grace in Mike's life, Jeff would want to have the exact same amount of grace. Amen? Look at what Paul said in uh, 1 Timothy 15 to 17. Here is what Paul said. Amazing scripture. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You want to summarize the whole Bible in 10 words? Right here. Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. But listen to this, verse 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy. Paul, why have you been forgiving? Why did you obtain mercy and grace? Here is why he says, For this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might, what? Show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. What Paul was saying is, I have tasted grace. I have experienced the mercy of God. And here is why. So I can be an example for those who still want to come to find Jesus. When you saw that grace and that mercy displayed in me. And how this grace changed me. They want to have the exact same thing. So God is showing that exceeding riches of His grace by transforming our lives to those who don't know Him yet. Amen? Amen. Number two, 
He also show, showed that grace to the angels and the power of principalities of heaven, whether that's demons or angels, whatever the case is. Look at that, Ephesians 3, uh, 3, 8 to 11. Here's what Paul said, just next chapter. He said, to me, who is less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, the grace to proclaim the gospel, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Look at this. The manifold wisdom of God, the layers of layers of layers of God's wisdom, might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We read that scripture in the, heaven, in the hallelujah time. How angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner comes to find salvation in Christ. Honestly, I, I imagine it like this. Let's just pick on me, for example. I am a bad sinner. I do every awful thing in the world. And then the Lord showed me his grace and I get forgiven and I get changed by the power of that grace of God. I believe that angels look in heaven and I was like, wow, look at this. Look how powerful that grace is. Look how amazing the blood of Jesus is. That even someone as sinner as this person now is a child of God. Now is walking with Christ. And now he is forgiving. And now he's a new creation. So through displaying God's grace in our lives, God showed that even to the principalities and power of heaven, whether angels or demons, they see the transformation and they praise that amazing riches of the grace of God. Amen? God shows his grace in us to those who are lost and to the powers and principalities of heaven. But number, move on. Now, this is good. Paul said that he might show to the ages, in the ages to come, not his grace, but he says the exceeding riches of his grace. And that's what this phrase right here is really what piqued my interest in that passage in the first place. We talked about that first week. It seems like Paul is trying to pile up word after word after word after word to say how great this grace is. Amen? And he's saying here this grace is the exceeding riches of his grace. Get ready for God's word to blow your mind away. Now, the word exceeding, okay? In Greek, this word is uperbalo. Uperbalo. It's actually two, you can break it into two halves. The word uper means over or beyond. And then the word balo means to throw, from which we get the English word ball, okay? So the word, actually, the sense of the word is like this. It's like you draw a line or a mark, and then you throw the ball beyond that mark, okay? So it's like beyond the mark, you throw beyond the mark. That's what it says, over balo, like over, throw over, okay? And this word is actually mentioned only five times in the whole New Testament, every single time by Paul, okay? So let's look at the five times Paul used that word. First time was in 2 Corinthians 3.10. We're going to look at it in a minute. But he said, uh, For even that which made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excel. The word excel here is operbalo. 2 Corinthians 3.10. The second scripture is 2 Corinthians 9, 14. He said, which long after you for the exceeding, exceeding grace of God in you. The word exceeding here is still operpalo. That's 2 Corinthians 9. And then he used that exact word three times in the book of Ephesians that we're studying right now. Ephesians 1, 19. 
the overpowered grace of his greatness of his uh, the overpowered greatness of his power toward the us who believe the exceeding grace of power of God. Then Ephesians 2, 7, the exceeding grace of God. He said the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. And the last example was in Ephesians 3, 19. The love of God which surpasses knowledge, unsearchable, surpassing, or upper ballot. So five times Paul used that word. This is all what is mentioned in the New Testament. Now, every single time, like uh, scripture number 2, 3, and 4, and 5, is just an adjective, a description. So we're not going to worry about that. But let's look at the first one, the first example, where Paul used that word. So we try to understand exactly what exactly Paul was trying to say when he said the exceeding riches of his grace. Amen? So let's read, let me read that passage to you from 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 11. Here is what Paul said. Before we read it, let me give you the background of what he was talking about. You have to know a little bit about the Old Testament. In that passage, Paul was trying to compare the ministry of the Spirit in the New Testament versus the ministry of the law in the Old Testament. Okay? So, in the Old Testament, he uses or he makes a reference to one incident when Moses went to the mountain so he can get that tablets that has the Ten Commandments written from God, and he came down. And the Bible said that the face of Moses was shining so much so, it was so glorious, okay, that the children of Israel could not look at the face of Moses because it was just shining and beaming. Moses actually, in the Old Testament, had to cover up so people can actually talk to him because they cannot even come close to him from the shining of his face when he encountered God, okay? So there is glory in that ministry of the Old Testament. You guys follow me so far? So that's the background. Let's see what Paul was saying here in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 11. But if the ministry of death, that's the ministry of the Old Testament, the ministry of the law, written and, uh, written and engraved on stones, that's the tablets where the, the Ten Commandments were written, was glorious. There was glory associated with it. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Which glory is passing away? He's saying that glory in the Old Testament it passed away. It wasn't forever that Moses' face was shining. It eventually went away. Now, comparing that to the New Testament, verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? How is it then, if, if, if there was glory in the Old Testament ministry, how much more will be more glory in the ministry of the Spirit in the New Testament? Okay? Verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, that's the ministry of the law that brings condemnation in the Old Testament had glory, so much so that Moses' face was shining and people need to hide their face from, his, from seeing Moses. Then he said, the ministry of righteousness, that's the ministry of the New Testament, the ministry of the Spirit nowadays, exceeds much more in glory, has a far more, far more higher glory. Verse 10, for even that was made glorious... For even the glory that was showed in the past, for even the face of Moses that was made glorious in the Old Testament had, what? No glory in this respect because of the glory of the New Testament that excel. And the word excel here is upper ballow. What is Paul trying to say here? Paul is trying to say, 
You guys remember in the Old Testament how there was glory associated with the ministry of the law that Moses' face was actually shining and beaming that people could not look at him? Now, the ministry of the New Testament is far more glorious than that, that the glory of the ministry of the Old Testament would be counted as nothing if you compare that to the glory of the New Testament ministry because the glory of the New Testament ministry is exceeding, is upper ballot. Does that make sense? So what Paul was trying, if we apply the same principle here to Ephesians chapter 2, what Paul was trying to say about the grace of God is this. Think of every unmerited grace you have ever experienced in your whole life. Okay? Think of every undeserved favor you have ever experienced in your life. Think of every act of kindness that you weren't even counting on and just surprised you out of the blue. Think of every good thing you have ever tasted throughout your life. Think of all of that. And all of that will be absolutely despised and counted as nothing when you compare that to the exceeding, immeasurable, surpassing, undescribable, unimaginable riches of the grace of God that he would show you and me when he forgive our sins in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. The surpassing riches of his grace. This is grace beyond any grace. This is grace better than every grace because this is the grace that takes sinners like you and me and make us right with God. That's the exceeding riches of his grace. That's why he said in Ephesians 1, 7 to 8, he said this, according to the riches of his grace. That's what Paul said. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished. He's just given us grace with like, with no measure. He just poured it out on us with no limit. Lavished on us in all wisdom and understanding. Amen? The exceeding riches of his grace. This is grace like, not like your average grace. This is grace beyond any grace you can ever think of. This is a surpassing grace. Amen? But where is this grace found? It's found in Christ Jesus. That's why he said, right? He said the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Where? In Christ Jesus. Now, in Ephesians... Paul just went on and on about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, okay? So let me just read you a couple, of, well, actually, that's every example, but let me read that scripture for you because it's so powerful. Number one, this is what Paul said, that God has blessed us in Christ. Blessed us where? In Christ. With every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 1.3. He said, he chose us, that's God the Father, chose us. How did he choose us? In him, in Christ, before the foundations of the world. That's Ephesians 1.4. He, God, predestined us for adoptions as son. How? Through Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 1.5. He, God the Father, has blessed us. How? In the beloved. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.6. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption. That's Ephesians 1.7. His purpose, that's God's purpose, we, which he set forth. How, he did it, how did God set it forth? In Christ, Ephesians 1.9. In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. We're going to go to heaven and inherit heaven because of who? Jesus. That's Ephesians 1.11. In him, in Jesus, 
You were sealed with the, with the Holy Spirit of promise. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? In Jesus. That's Ephesians 1.13. Made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2.5. Raised us up with him. With Jesus. And seated, seated us with him in the heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.6. We are his workmanship created where? In Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10. But now, how? In Christ Jesus. You who were once were afar off and be brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. That's Ephesians 2.13. For through him, through Jesus, we both, Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2.18. In whom? In Jesus. The whole structure, that's the church, you and I. The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, in Jesus, also you were built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's Ephesians 2, 21-22. The eternal purpose that He, God the Father, has accomplished. How? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 3, 11. In whom we have boldness. In who? In Jesus. We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. In Jesus. That's Ephesians 3.12. From whom? From Jesus. The whole body grow so that it build itself up in love. That's the whole church grows in Jesus. And then lastly, Ephesians 4.32. Forgiving one another as God has forgiven us. How? In that's just in Ephesians. Do you see then how there is no way, there is just absolutely no way for a sinful human being and holy God can ever be reconciled together apart from the Son of God. Amen? All God's blessings, every blessing, every grace God can ever give a human being is wrapped up in the person of His Son, Jesus. Amen? A bunch of people are not very excited, huh? I don't know about you. God has given you every single grace in Jesus. If that, that would make me stand up and shout if I were you. Amen? Amen. But let's just narrow it down a little bit. I want to show you how throughout the scripture we can see that the grace of God is wrapped up in the person of Christ. That's it. I'm going to show you multiple scriptures that show you that you can never find grace apart from Christ. And if you find Christ, you find the fullness of the grace of God. Amen? So let's just dig in a couple of more scriptures about that. Well, let's just look at the one that we're looking at right now. Paul said in Ephesians 2.7 that God has raised us up, seated us in the heavenly places. Why? That he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Where? In? Where? Do you guys need some coffee? Woke you up in a minute. Where he's going to show us this grace? Where? In Christ Jesus. Now, look at the phrase right after that. I want you guys to read it with me. It seems like you're falling asleep. What does it say? Verse 8, the very first part. What does it say? For by grace you are saved. Now, this phrase, by grace you're saved, was mentioned just earlier. I think it's in verse 5, isn't it? When he said that, he made us alive together in Christ. And then he said, for by grace you've been saved. And then, you know, he seated us in the heavenly places. So by grace you have been saved. It was mentioned twice in our passage. Right here in verse 8. And I'm not looking at the passage. I think it's verse 5. 5? Okay. 
So verse 5 and verse 8 is winched twice. But actually, if you look in the Greek, there's a difference between these two phrases. They're not very identical. The second phrase that was mentioned in verse 8, when he says, for by grace you are saved, there is a definition article before the word grace. But there is no definition article before the word grace in Ephesians chapter, in, in verse 5. So verse 5 is actually translated correctly. For by grace you are saved. But verse 8 should be translated a little bit different. It is this English translation not doing it justice. This is how verse 8 should be translated because of the definition article. Paul should be saying, I'm going to read verse 7 and verse 8. For God has seated us in the heavenly places that he might show in the ages to come the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then verse 8 should be translated, for by this grace, for by this exceeding riches of his grace that can only be found in Christ Jesus, for only by this grace you can be saved. It is not you're going to ever be saved because God is a good God or he's a, just going to let your sin go away unpunished. It's only through the grace that God provides only in his son Jesus that you can be saved. Amen. For by this grace, this exceeding riches of his grace that can only be found in his son that you can be saved. That's in Ephesians 2, 7 and 8. Let's read that. John 1, 16 and 17. Look at what John said. From, for from his fullness, from the fullness of Jesus, we have received what? Grace, grace upon grace. Paul, I th- John was saying here, it's kind of like an ocean. You stand in the ocean, there's a wave after wave after wave, and endless waves coming toward your way. And this is what John was saying here. In the fullness, from the fullness of Christ Jesus, you can receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The exceeding riches of the grace of God is available for you and me in Christ Jesus. Amen. Verse 17, John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came to us how? Through Jesus Christ. The grace of God came to you and me only through Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1, 9 to 10. Listen to what Paul said. God has saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and... Grace. Now look at this grace that God saved us with, which, with it, which He gave us. How? In Christ Jesus before the ages begun. Before the world ever began, God given you and me that grace. How? In Christ Jesus. Verse 10. And which now has been manifested. How? Through the appearance of our Lord Christ Jesus. Do you see that? God has given us the grace from very ever, from eternity, only in Christ Jesus. But you and me will never see that grace, have never seen it, would have never been able to see it, unless Christ Jesus was manifested to us. Why? Because the grace of God can only be found in His Son, period. Amen? Apart from Jesus, there is no grace. There is only condemnation. But in Jesus, you can receive the exceeding riches of the grace of God. Amen? 
Romans 5.17, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, abundance of grace, and free gift of righteousness reign in life. How? Through the one man, Jesus Christ. You receive the abundance of the grace. You reign in life through Jesus Christ. First Corinthians, um, Romans 5.21, so that... Sin reigned in death. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.4, last scripture. I thank God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you. How? By Christ Jesus. Friends, I have to tell you something. Muhammad, when he came, he brought no grace from God. Amen? Buddha did not bring any grace from God. Amen? Hinduism has no grace in it. Mormonism has no grace in it. Jehovah Witness has no grace in it. Your own self-righteous works and your own church, this church has no grace in it. Because the grace of God is found in a person. And his name is Jesus. He is the divine son of the living God. And he's the one who has the fullness of the grace of God. Amen? In Jesus you find grace. You step out of him. There is no grace left for you and me except condemnation. Amen? Is that fair? Is that fair? Is that fair that there's only grace in Jesus? Yes, it is fair. I tell you why. Because we sinned against God. And we broke his law. And if we deserve anything, we deserve judgment. Amen? We deserve to be distanced from God for all eternity. But Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus came down from heaven. And he went to the cross. And he took our punishment on the cross. And he paid for your sin and my sin on that cross. It wasn't easy, but he did it because he loves us so much so. And he endured the wrath and the judgment of God. And the one who knew no sin became sin for us. And not only that, three days later, the divine son of the living God rose from the dead. Amen? And because he's alive, he can give you and me the power to change. Everything that you and I need to be made right with God, God has provided when Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, rose from the dead on the third day. Amen? Amen. That's why God's grace is only found in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't try to reach out to God in your own self or your own trial or your own sincerity or your own work. Apart from Jesus, there is no grace. Amen? Amen. That's the grace of God in its middleman. Let's all close our eyes and pray. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.